0: Amen. Isn't that great? Uh, it's good to be together to be able to, to sing about God's grace. And now I, I talk to you about uh, forgiving others. And let's be honest. There's something exquisitely sweet about holding a grudge. There's something incredibly sweet about withholding forgiveness. But God's word says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, I've been praying a lot about this sermon. This is actually a really hard topic. What is God going to do in our midst today? You know, we've been doing this ser- series on practical spirituality. We, we've been asking the question, what does it look like to be a, a Christian? And we've been kind of just startled when we're speaking. Our world needs authentic Christians. Christians who live out loud. Christians that live for all to see. And what will the world encounter when they see us, when they come across true Christians? Well, what we've seen along the way is they will, should see someone who follows Jesus. Someone who loves people. Someone who, a couple of weeks ago, one of our, our global ambassadors, uh, Marcus Brooks, was here and, and challenged us that what they should see is someone, who, someone who's not afraid because we trust God. Last week, Pastor Austin preached a great sermon about what they come across as someone who listens to God and has ears to hear what God has to say. And today, When the world comes across true Christians, what the world should find is someone who forgives others. Forgiving others, forgiving people who have wronged you. I know this is a difficult topic. We will need God's word to challenge us out of our our normal response, out of our human response, out of our fallen response. We will need God's word to challenge us, and we will need the power of the gospel to change us, to make us something new. I asked the question, I'm going to be asking it a couple of times today. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? I know the responses. Oh, but Pastor, but you don't know what he did to me. Or they, they lied about me over and over. Or... She intended to destroy my career, and she did. Or if you knew what, this, what they have done to, what this has done to my family, you would be angry too. Or, or if you knew what this has done to my child, you wouldn't be forgiving either. They deserve to suffer like they made me suffer. I'm going to make them pay. I will never forgive those people ever. Right? It's just in us. It's just in us. C.S. Lewis has said, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Oh, let's see what God's word has to say to us today. If you're taking notes, first of all, would you write in, forgiving others is a Christian trait. Consider these words of Jesus. Listen, they'll be up on the board. Listen, consider these words of Jesus. In Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, Jesus said, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive And you will be forgiven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this very plainly in Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Apostle Paul said the same thing with a a slightly different emphasis in Ephesians 4.32. It's the passage that I started with today when he wrote, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Also, Paul in Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And Peter, how about Peter? A man who who knew the sweetness of forgiveness. Would he ever forget that, that morning fire and breakfast by the sea when he was restored to Jesus after he had denied Jesus three times? He would never forget that. And it was Peter who wrote in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Verses 21 to 35, we're going to look at the par- one of the parables of Jesus. It is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I've been praying that God would use it in our midst, use it in my heart as he has been, as I have studied and as I've prepared. Would God use this passage of scripture in us today? Please follow along. Please listen as I read from Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. I'll make a few comments along the way as I read. Then Peter came up. You know, and we, we always need to look at the context of a and, and we're going to look at the context a little later in my sermon. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, How often will my Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, just a few comments. The uh, the rabbis of that day thought it was a a, a significant thing for people to forgive each other three times. And then after that third time, you no longer had to. So when Peter came along and said seven times, Peter was thinking, "Well, well, that's really pushing it out there. That's that's very significant. And what does Jesus say? No, not not even seven times, right? Seventy times seven times. And so is Jesus saying 490 times and then the 491st time you don't need to? No, what Jesus is saying here is that there's no end. There's no end to our forgiving. Jesus goes on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And I need to speak about 10,000 talents. A talent Try to get this here. It's going to demand a little math. A talent was equal to 20 years of wages for the average laborer. One talent, 20 years of labor. So what is this, 10,000 talents? That's 200,000 years of wages. 200,000 years of wages. So this is an astronomical amount. It's an amount that how did anyone get even this much debt? It certainly was an unpayable debt. We're talking millions. We're talking billions of dollars. Jesus goes on, verse 25. And since he could not pay... But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So we need to say, well, what's a hundred denarii? A denarii or denarii was a um, one day's wage for a laborer. So a hundred of those would be what, about a third of a year? I mean, it's, it's, it's a sum, but it is a kittens in comparison to what this man had been forgiven verse 29 so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him have patience with me and i will pay you he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then, verse 35, which is a most unsettling verse. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Matthew 18, this parable of the unforgiving servant. First of all, folks, we need to see the gospel here. This is a story, again, of the amazing gospel of Jesus. The gospel, the heart, the heart of every one of our sermons. Here it is again. Folks, we are that servant who had the great debt. In Jesus, we have been forgiven this astronomical debt of our sin. In Christ We have received extravagant grace just poured out on us because of our sin. This weight of sin, this awfulness of sin, my sin that I have no power to take care of, the sin in my life that just keeps mounting up, the sin that is in disobedience to God and rebellion of God. God in his grace comes. And in his son who died in our place, our sin is forgiven. That's the gospel. That's what every Christian goes back to and celebrates. That's the gospel. Now, the rest of this parable, it is startling to us. It should be. And maybe it's even a little confusing to us. It is this saying that I am saved by grace plus forgiving others? Haven't we always said it's by grace alone? And yes, that's what we always say. And it's true. It is only by grace. It's not by any amount of our works. It is by faith alone. And as the reformers of old used to say, but it is not by a faith that is alone. And what Jesus is saying, and what we need to hear today, is that when God's grace is poured out extravagantly on our lives, and as we experience the forgiveness of our sins, that begins to change us. And we cannot stay the same and that grace needs to start affecting us and, and changing who we are on the inside and who we, how we start looking at others and how we're going to look at how when people wrong us. And if this grace has taken root in us, then it will show up with a forgiving spirit. And scripture over and over tells us to examine ourselves. And if we examine ourselves and we see that we don't have a forgiving spirit. Then that should make us question. Do we really know God's grace? And has God's grace taken root in our hearts? And has it begun to change us? I know these are hard words, and as one of your pastors, I dare not skip over it. Listen again to these words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. After he was telling about the and taught the Lord's Prayer, he said these words, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive forgive your trespasses. We need to hear these words. We need to be confronted with the demand to forgive others. Well, in my sermon, I'd like to answer, why forgive others? I have four. I'm going to give them to you. First, why would we forgive others? First, because we are commanded to. We've heard the commands. The creator and master of our souls commands us. And that is enough. We really ought to be able to stop right there. That is enough. Our God commands this of His people. But there's more. A second reason why we forgive others is because we desire to be like God, to be like God in His character. To be shaped after his character. Do you remember the episode when Moses wanted to see God's glory and God said, Moses, you can't see my glory and live. And so he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and then God in his presence passed by and he covered over so that Moses couldn't see his glory but that Moses could see the backside of him as he passed and as God went by, he pronounced his name. And in pronouncing his name, he talked about his character And part of what God said was that he is a God abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. So why be forgiving of others? It's because we want to be like God. We want to be like God's character. Someone has said we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. A third reason. For the benefit of those who have wronged us. I hope you can follow along where I'm going here. But for the benefit of those who have wronged us, so so that they might be saved. This is where we need to look at the context of this parable of the unforgiving sinner. Excuse me, unforgiving servant. Here in Matthew 18, just prior to this, in the verses, verses 15 through 20, right before this parable, is the passage of Scripture that has to do with church discipline. And about what to do if someone sins against you. And the whole point of church discipline, and of the church coming alongside of those who have sinned against another, is for the restoration of that offending person. And just before the the passage of Scripture on church discipline, in verses 10 through 14, it's the parable of the lost sheep. Where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find find the one who's, who's lost and who is strained and who is caught in sin. So he leaves the 99 so that that one can be rescued. And I believe the point of these passages, every one of these sections, is that what matters most is that people would come to know salvation and that people would come to know God and that the separation between them and God would be removed. And so if we would, if God would build in us this character, what is more important? To be angry at someone who has wronged you over something little or even over something big or that person's eternal salvation. And could it be that if by God's grace, he can build in us a forgiving spirit? That maybe that person might see it and wonder and come to know the Jesus that changed us. I believe that often our our priorities are just askew. Are we so concerned about this life and the right and wrong and justice in this world when what really matters is that one, the one to come? So we forgive those who sin against us for their benefit. And a fourth reason is for the spiritual health of ourselves. Verse 34 of this parable, Jesus says, And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. And maybe your translation says tormentors. Maybe your translation says torturers. In the Greek, it's tormentors. And think of being trapped in a prison of torment. Trapped in a prison of bitterness and resentment. Trapped in a prison of holding grudges. Of reliving over and over the wrongs that have been done to us. I suppose you might say that's a really good picture of hell. Of an eternity trapped, living over and over the bitterness and the, of our own wrongs because we've never been forgiven of them, but also of those who have wronged against us. Think of an eternity of that. But I think it's also referring to today. And have you been locked in that kind of torment? of unforgiveness Acts 8:32 talks about the the gall of bitterness is that bubbling up inside Hebrews 12:15 talks about the root of bitterness is that unforgiving spirit inside that root This morning, are you stuck? Are you stuck in bitterness? Are are you stuck in anger? Are you stuck in resentment? Could it be you need to deal with this question? Who do you need to forgive? The second point of my sermon is this. Forgiving others in our daily lives. You know, there are many misconceptions about forgiving about forgiving someone. And those misconceptions can confuse us. In fact, they can hinder us from dealing with forgiveness and forgiving others. I'm just going to go through some of these very quickly. There's all kinds of them. If, if We would love to talk with you more about these, if this is some of these things you're struggling with. with, with. But we, we have these misconceptions that forgiveness, it, it, forgive, it doesn't mean approving of what someone else did. It doesn't mean that. That the only way I can forgive them is if I approve of what they did. No. doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean pretending that evil never took place. doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean making excuses for the other people's bad behavior. It doesn't mean overlooking abuse. It doesn't mean enduring abuse. That's not what forgiveness means. It doesn't mean allowing people to walk all over you. It doesn't mean that you you don't press charges when a crime has been committed. Forgiving others does not mean that you have to become best friends then once you've forgiven them. It doesn't mean that all negative consequences of their sin or their wrong are removed It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to tell that person that you've forgiven them. It doesn't mean letting someone off the hook, they're getting away with it. It doesn't mean that it has to happen all at once. Oh, sometimes it does, and it might, but often it takes a while. There's these misconceptions well, if there's all these misconceptions what does it look like what is it you know I, I think we're better at the uh, descriptions of what it isn't and when it doesn't happen some of it's in the literature that are, are, of our world uh, um, Charles Dickens in his great book Great Expectations one of his famous characters right is Miss Havisham if you've read the book if you remember Miss Havisham is a a woman who was left at her the wedding altar. She was about to get married and the groom never showed up. And she got the news at, what was it, uh, half past nine, I think it was. No, 20 minutes till nine. She got the news that the groom was not coming and was never going to come. And she could never forget it. Never forgive it. So she lived her life in this home. She she never took off her wedding dress. She lived all these years in her veil. And it was tattered and yellowed and falling to pieces. um, All the clocks in her house, she she said at 20 till 9. You never forget the wedding cake, and the feast was still in the room. And the mices and the spiders came and took pieces of it away over the years. And when Pip and Estella were there trying to figure out what was going on, these were her words. On this day of the year, long before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here. It and I have worn away together. The mice have gnawed at it and sharper teeth than teeth of mice have gnawed at me. And that's that bitterness, right? David Jeremiah has written this. Someone has described unforgiveness as the accumulation of unexpressed anger. Because it is denied, it can often be ignored while all the time it is building and growing like an invisible tumor. The effort to stuff our hurts below the the reach of conscious memory is like trying to hold a fully inflated beach ball underwater. The slightest shift in pressure, and off it goes, shooting off beyond control. I like these two stories. Sometimes this unforgiveness can kind of enter into our our homes, right? And into our families, into our marriages. I read about a married couple who had a quarrel and they were unwilling to forgive each other and it ended up giving each other (laughs) the silent treatment, right? A week into their mute argument, the man realized he needed his wife's help. In order to catch a flight for a business meeting, he had to get up at 5 a.m., not wanting to be, to, to be the first to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper by the alarm clock, please wake me up at 5 a.m. Well, the next morning the man woke up only to discover his wife had already, was already out of bed and he looked at the clock and it was 9 in the morning. His flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failing when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. And on it read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> Husbands and wife, isn't it a little bit like that? That kind of enters in sometimes? This unforgiving spirit? Or the opposite? A pastor from Texas writes this. I remember seeing a picture of a husband and wife in a gentleman's office. I said, "Uh, nice picture. And I turned around and looked at the man and he had tears in his eyes. So I asked him, why are you crying? And he said, there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife and she found out about it. She was so deeply hurt and injured, she was going to leave me and take the kids with her. I was overwhelmed at the mistake I had made, and I shut the affair down. I went to my wife in total brokenness, knowing I did not deserve for her answer in the affirmative, but I asked her to forgive me, and she forgave me. This picture was taken shortly after that, When I see this picture, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who was willing to stand with me in this picture. So when you see this picture, you say, nice picture. But when I see this picture, I see my life given back to me again. The power of forgiveness. You know, we've gone through the misconceptions of forgiveness and how we sometimes make mistakes of it and make it into something that it isn't. W- what is it? I- I've read uh, um, Lewis Smeedy's book, The Art of Forgiving. It's, it's a very good book, and And he gives three levels, three steps of forgiveness that I think will help us. But forgiveness really emerges, for our true understanding of this, emerges out of this parable when Jesus said in verse 35, so the Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is a heart issue. Louis Smedes says this, maybe these will help you. First of all, he says that we need to rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. The humanity of the person who hurt us. This simply means that without diminishing their sin, we admit and recognize that they are are sinners just like we are. And isn't this following the words of Jesus? When Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't part of loving your neighbor as yourself is seeing that your neighbor is as fallen as you are. And the sin that you're capable of, they're capable of. And isn't this idea of rediscovering the humanity of the person who hurt us, isn't it tied in with Philippians 2, where it says, look to the interests of others, not just yourself. So we begin to consider that this person who wronged us is a fallen sinner just like we are just like I am capable and I am capable of great sin and so are they this can help us if you're struggling with forgiving this can help The second step, or the second level, is we surrender our right to get even. This is hard because we all have that natural desire to make someone pay for all the pain they have caused. It's in all of us. Well, what does it say in Romans 12? Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Surrendering the right to get even. And I think we fool ourselves. If I withhold forgiveness, it's going to make them pay. When what's going on is when I withhold forgiveness, I'm paying. And third, Smede says this, we revise our feelings towards the other person. First we see them as as human beings. Then we see that we're not supposed to try, we give up the right to get even. And then God begins to change our feelings. We give up hatred. We let go of bitterness. And ultimately we take Jesus seriously when he said this, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh God, help us. A teacher once told each of her students to bring a a clear plastic bag and a sack of potatoes to school. They were instructed at class that day to call to mind every person they had a grudge against. For every person they refused to forgive, they chose a potato, wrote their name on it, and put it in the clear plastic bag. They were told to carry this bag with them everywhere, putting it beside their bed at night, on the car seat when driving, on their lap when riding, next to their desk during class. Some bags became quite heavy. Lugging this around, paying attention to it all the time, and remembering not to leave it in some embarrassing place was a hassle. And over time, the potatoes became moldy, smelly, and they began to sprout eyes. You know, often we think uh, forgiveness is a gift to the other person. It's really a gift to us. Are you lugging that bag around? This embarrassing bag that is so contrary to the gospel in your life. You know, Christians should be the most forgiving people in the world. Because we have been forgiven. Who do you need to forgive? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us with this. Heavenly Father, help us by your spirit. Father, we accept the challenge of this. And we want the gospel to be clear in our lives. Lord, I pray that even right now, in the end of this service, uh, with our heads bowed, Father, you know our hearts. Lord, across the sanctuary, Lord, if we need to forgive, Father, would you give us your grace with the challenges of these passages of Scripture, with the work of your Spirit. Father, would you begin to change us? Lord, you have forgiven us. You have shed extravagant grace on us. Well, Lord, help us as we turn around. And forgive those who have wronged us. Lord, do your work in us, I pray. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.